Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 32, through Acts chapter 21, verse 14. In our last teaching, Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem. It was his fervent desire to get back there in time for Pentecost. However, he stopped briefly in Miletus so that he could have a final meeting with the church leaders from Ephesus. They had met him there, and he gave them a beautiful message encouraging them to remain faithful in their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to be diligent in their ministry to the church body. Already, errant teaching had come into the church, threatening the foundation of faith that Paul had so carefully laid. In fact, he spoke to them this final warning in verses 28 through 31. Let me read that for you. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. But now it was time for Paul and his companions to board the ship and to continue their journey back to Jerusalem. What is pictured in these final verses of chapter 20 are very touching as we read about the great devotion that these pastors had for Paul and Paul for them. Let us read today's passage now, beginning with verse 32. Paul continues, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul had proven himself a true pastor. He was one who would weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoiced. He even said of himself, I serve you with tears night and day. How difficult it must have been for Paul to say a final goodbye to these dear friends that he had ministered to and among for three years of his life. 
Yet the Spirit was compelling him to go on to Jerusalem, although he had earlier informed them that chains and tribulations were waiting for him at the end of his journey. He was convinced that he would never see them again. And as far as we know, he never did. I like the way Dr. H.A. Ironside describes this scene. He writes in his commentary on the book of Acts, But now I'm going away from you, Paul is saying. I'm never going to see you on earth again, but here is your resource in the day of difficulty. I commend you to God. He abides when his servants pass on and, and to the word of his grace, God's blessed, infallible, and inspired book, the Bible, which is able to build you up, to edify you. Why is it that many Christians today make such slow progress in the Christian life and are so weak when they ought to be strong? It is because they give so little time to the reading of the Word of God. I would like to press the question home upon your minds, dear friends. How much time do you really give to the Bible day by day? Do you study the Word? Do you take the time to meditate on the Word? Our resources in the day of evil are God and the Word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. What is it to be sanctified? It is to be set apart to God, and every believer is set apart through God's grace. And as we study the word, our sanctification goes on practically. More and more in life and heart, we are separated to the Lord alone. And this is why what we are doing today, studying God's Word in this simple podcast, is so important for our spiritual growth. However, let me remind you, my friend, that this is just a beginning, a help as you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must be daily in God's Word, studying it, meditating on it, bringing it and your life before God in prayer. And, and if you have just a few verses available to you, they are enough for God to use to deeply impact your life for good. As the Bible says in Psalm seventy-three twenty-eight. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Paul then took the time once again to remind them of the example that he set. He said that he had never coveted anyone's riches or things, but instead he engaged in secular work, tent-making, for what he needed and for the needs of those who were with him. I think this is exactly what Paul was referencing in his letter to the church in, in Philippi, uh, the, in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and 
every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so Paul concluded his remarks with a reminder that they needed to also show the same kind of care and comfort to those who are in need. He said that we must support the weak, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now it is true that we do not find this particular teaching, which is actually a beatitude, anywhere in the gospel accounts of our Lord's earthly ministry. But it is pictured throughout his ministry as he practiced its truth so often. We read about the day when he was teaching a crowd of 5,000 men, plus women and children, and, and they were hungry. So he took a, a simple offering of five loaves of bread and two small fish, and he gave and gave and gave, feeding the multitude. Again and again, we can read examples of the many times Jesus gave willingly, never seeking to receive anything other than love. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus said, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. It is well accepted that Jesus must have made this statement, that uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive, as he said that so often that it became a common saying among the disciples. And at some time, maybe whenever Paul got together in Antioch with the apostles, Paul heard it spoken often and picked it up as wise counsel that he had applied to his own life and teaching and ministry. This statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is something that I heard often growing up in a Christian home. It is a simple principle, yet very powerful in application. As a young child, I understood it. And now, as a grown woman, I have tried to apply this teaching whenever I encounter anyone, whether it be friend or foe. Why? Because it is the command of my Lord, but also because it is the way he lived his life. But we must keep even this teaching in its proper context. Let me quote from Warren Wearsby. He writes, This beatitude does not suggest that people who receive are less blessed than people who give. The beggar in Acts chapter 3 would argue with that. It could be paraphrased, it's, it's better to share with others than to keep what you have and collect more. In other words, the blessing does not come in accumulating wealth, but in sharing it. After all, Jesus became poor that we might become rich. Well, Paul concluded his final words with prayer. What a tender scene is before us. The Bible says that Paul knelt down and began to pray for them all. 
and everyone present was in tears. How they loved Paul. This was the man who had introduced them to Jesus and who had selflessly ministered to them with great love, tenderness, and respect. But this was now a final goodbye, this side of glory. They would never see his face again, nor hear the sound of his voice, nor enjoy his tender embrace. And yet, what Paul had given them assured them of a hope and a future. That one day there would be a wonderful day of reunion in glory in the presence of the Lord. So they embraced and parted on the best of terms. Let us now turn to chapter 21 as Paul begins the final leg of his journey back to Jerusalem, beginning with verse 1. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos. The following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed in Tyre. And there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the, through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why do you mean, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for this name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. In these first few verses in Acts 21, Luke records their travel from Miletus to Tyre. It may seem tedious, but Remember, Paul is a physician by trade, and therefore he is a man of science and detail. And what we are reading here is the account of the usual coastal trade route of a small ship making several delivery stops along the way to offload and take on cargo. 
However, it may have been that Paul was beginning to get anxious about the time and therefore he sought out a larger ship that would sail a more direct route to Tyre. And this was actually a 400 mile journey which would take about five days. Upon arriving in Tyre, they remained there seven days while the ship he was traveling on was offloaded and a new cargo loaded for the final stage of their journey. And while they were in Tyre, Paul met with the church in that city, teaching and ministering to them the word of God. This was a church that, as far as we know, Paul had not started. However, it is surmised that 20 years earlier, when great persecution against the church had broken out and the church was scattered, that many had escaped to Tyre and and began to share their faith with their new neighbors. Twenty years later, the church had grown and thrived, and they were eager to hear what the great Apostle Paul had to share. I find this fascinating, because as you remember, it was Paul who, in his early years, was known as Saul. Saul had been a great instigator in the persecution of the church. Yet once again, what seems to the eyes of man as something terrible, God used for good in the salvation of thousands to the glory of God. How often I am reminded of the words of Joseph back in the Old Testament, that he spoke to his brothers after their father Jacob had died. If you remember, his brothers had betrayed him. Initially, they had wanted to kill him, but They ended up selling Joseph to merchants as a slave, and he was carried off to Egypt in chains and worked as a slave. But then after another betrayal, he found himself in Pharaoh's prison. But at the right time, God raised him up, actually to be the second most powerful man in Egypt and the known world at that time. God had placed him there at just the right time so that Preparations could be made for storing up grain to feed Egypt and the nations around it during a coming seven-year famine. So, after Jacob, their father, died, Joseph's brothers came to Joseph in deep remorse over what they had done many years earlier. And Joseph's response was perfect. This is what he said. Genesis chapter 50 Verses 19 through 20, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. This is the same message that I hear in the familiar passage we find in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Yes, it has been well said that whenever man does his worst, God does his best. I agree with this. And the church entire is just one more proof of that truth. Because the church in Jerusalem had been scattered, the church entire had been born. Praise God for his great faithfulness and mercy. 
So when Paul was there in Tyre, he was once again reminded about the dangers that awaited him in Jerusalem. You will remember that Paul had already informed the Ephesian brethren that Spirit had let him know about the hardships that he was going to encounter once he arrived in Jerusalem. So this is now the second warning that we told you about. Yet this warning did not turn Paul away from his goal to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Jews in Jerusalem as they gathered for the day of Pentecost. Perhaps there might be some among them who will receive the message and believe and be saved. Well, after seven days, they boarded the ship and completed their journey at, to Caesarea. And while there, they stayed in the home of Philip the Evangelist. This passage tells us that he had four unmarried daughters who were prophetesses. But we need to also remember the background of this man. Back in Acts chapter 6, we first read about him. He was one of the seven deacons that were set apart for the distribution of food to the widows, along with Stephen, the first Christian martyr. While Philip and Stephen and the others were not serving tables, they, they were going throughout the city as evangelists. Stephen was arrested and stoned to death. Let me read a portion of that account to you, Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 57. Then they, the, the spiritual leadership of that day, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So once again, let me explain that before Paul knew Christ, he was present at the death of Stephen, persecuting the church, and Philip and the others were scattered. Philip's ministry eventually led him to Caesarea, where he settled down and began ministering uh, to the people there and continued on for the next 20 years. And now he welcomed Paul, the one who had persecuted the church, into his home as a dear brother and fellow laborer in the Lord. This is all because of the wonderful work that God had done in Paul's life, utterly transforming him. Now there is love and joy and peace within the house of Stephen. So at this time, a, a prophet, Agabus, came to Paul and illustrated what was awaiting him in Jerusalem, chains and imprisonment, 
It was usual in those days for a prophet to use a, a graphic illustration of what he was revealing. And this is why he used Paul's belt as that illustration. And this is now the third warning that was spoken to Paul in the presence of witnesses. But let me ask this, was this for Paul's benefit or, or was it for those who knew Paul? We read that once again the church and his companions tried to encourage Paul to abandon his plan to travel on to Jerusalem. But he refused to be turned back. Why? I think it's for two reasons. First, he carried with him the money that had been collected from the churches that he'd been ministering to for the Jerusalem church, as they were in great need due to famine and also due to the severe persecution that they had been suffering. But also, he went to Jerusalem with the hope that he could solve the most pressing problem in the church, the growing division between the legalistic Jews and the believing Gentiles. We have read chapter after chapter about the great opposition from the Jews that Paul consistently encountered in each city that he brought the gospel message to. If Paul could reach them there in Jerusalem, if he could reach them with a message and they would believe, there could be a reconciliation and a healing. He continued to have a burning desire for the salvation of the Jews throughout his life. Warren Wearsby observes, over 20 years before, the Lord had commanded Paul to get out of Jerusalem because the Jews would not receive his testimony. Paul had already written to the Romans about the dangers in Judea, and he had shared these same feelings with the Ephesian elders. So he was fully aware of the problems involved. Scholars differ on whether or not Paul should have continued on to Jerusalem and the certain fate that awaited him. On one side of the argument, there are those who say that he was ignoring the message of the Holy Spirit. On the other side, there are those who remind us that in each instance there was no command, only the information of what he could expect. I like how Dr. Ironside chooses to respond to this. He writes, in other words, Paul says, bonds and affliction do not terrify me. The thought of persecution and trial does not trouble me. I'm ready to endure all these things for Christ's sake. Truly, he did not take this as an intimation that he should not go to Jerusalem, though it may have been that. So when the others heard what he had to say, they simply said, the will of the Lord be done. We need to remember that there is not only God's directive will, but his permissive will. Let me repeat that. We need to remember that there is not only God's directive will, but his permissive will. And if Paul misunderstood the former, he was in line with the latter. God was going to work out some special purpose in the experiences that his servant would have to undergo at Jerusalem. And indeed, God did work in and through Paul in the few years that remained to him. Because without 
his time in chains in Rome, we would not have the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and later Second Timothy, which have ministered to and instructed countless Christians for the past 2,000 years. These books were written while Paul was in chains. In fact, while in chains in Rome, Paul wrote the following to the church in Philippi. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Just imagine the whole palace guard heard about Jesus. And many of them placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And there is coming a day when we will meet them and rejoice with them in the message of salvation through Jesus Christ that came to them because Paul was willing to go all the way to Jerusalem to face whatever he had to suffer so that the message of Jesus Christ might reach all the way to Rome and Caesar's household. God truly is wonderful. And we are blessed when we follow him wholeheartedly without reservation. I have in the front of my Bible a quote to encourage me from the missionary Adoniram Judson. And it is this, if we succeed without suffering, it is because others have suffered before us. If we suffer without success, it is that others may succeed after us. And added to this quote I have written, if God has made your cup sweet, drink it with grace. If he has made it bitter, drink it in communion with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that regardless of what obstacles might come against us, what oppositions, what, whatever sufferings or trials we may encounter, your will prevails. And that in all things you work for good, and you work for good in the lives of those who do not know Jesus. You work for good in the lives that do know Jesus. You are longing, O oh Lord, to bring salvation and forgiveness, healing, reconciliation, hope, love, joy, peace. And we thank you, O God, for the faithfulness of your servant Paul, who because of his sufferings has given us so much by the example of his life, by his faithfulness to, to pin your word, to record it for our, for our benefit. You have used this man mightily, Lord, and we want to also be used by you 
to be your faithful servant, to be willing to say, Lord, thy will be done in my life. So Lord, I just pray that you will continue to speak to each of our hearts and to draw us deeper into a life of service before you, service for your glory, service for the kingdom of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. It's all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. My dear friend, let me encourage you to serve the Lord with boldness, trusting in him who has promised to love you and strengthen you and watch over you. Tell the people that you know about Jesus, the one who came to live among men, who died on the cross for our sins, and who rose from the dead. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who saves. And it is he who is coming again. May he find you faithful on that day. God bless you, my friend.